Amen. Well, it's a joy to get to sing and praise the Lord together with you guys uh, every Sunday morning. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do, and so I'm so excited that we get to, to sing and praise the Lord together. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's where we're going to be this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you flip open your Bible to the very middle, you'll likely hit either the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs. And the way the Old Testament works, the order of the books, is there's Psalms and then Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is this smaller book that's uh, tacked on there at the end of Psalms and Proverbs. And so if you are looking for an easy way to find it, flip over in the middle of your Bible, turn a few pages, and there you'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so that's where we're going to be. Just while you're turning a little bit of background on the book, this morning we're going to begin our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, between now and uh, for the next couple months, we'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, studying it together, uh, looking at what it says for us and for our lives um, and, and a little background into the book, it's probably a book written by uh, Solomon, the son of David, King Solomon. I say probably because there's nothing in the book that says this is the author's name. Right? There's nothing in there that says, hey, this was written by Solomon. In fact, the, the author uh, of the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes by the name Koheleth, the, the Hebrew word that most, uh, probably the best translation for us would be preacher. So the preacher, and you'll see that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, the preacher says, the preacher says, and you'll see that again and again. So that's the only name we get in the book of Ecclesiastes, but based on some, some context clues, based on what the, the preacher says about himself, we know it has to be a descendant from the line of David, someone who ruled in Jerusalem, and the person that best fits the context clues, the person that best fits uh, the self, uh, the, the, what the writer says about himself is King Solomon. So that's uh, traditionally, the book has been attributed to King Solomon, and I don't see any reason why not to attribute it to King Solomon. And so when I talk about Ecclesiastes, I'll be uh, referring to it uh, often as Solomon says, or Solomon says this, uh, but just know it's probably Solomon. Don't know, can't, can't say that for 100% fact, but it's probably Solomon who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's who traditionally has been attributed to it. This is a book of philosophy. Uh, it is a, it's a poetic book, uh, so it's written in poetry, uh, form, but it's a book of philosophy. It's, it is Solomon's musings about the world and Solomon's musings about life. I'm really excited to begin our look through the book of Ecclesiastes, but I'm also a little fearful. Right? I'm really excited about going through the book of Ecclesiastes because it fits wonderfully with our mission statement as a church, that we are a family of faith living for eternity today. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes, the, uh, Solomon is, is looking at the world and he's looking at life and he's trying to figure out where there's purpose and meaning and value in life, right? He's, he's looking at the world and saying, what do I get out of this? What is, where is their purpose? Where is their meaning? Where is their value? And so it fits wonderfully with our idea of living for eternity today uh, as we get a look at what Solomon says, where, you know, where is the value and purpose and meaning in life? But I'm also fearful because the book of Ecclesiastes is incredibly depressing. Like if you've read Ecclesiastes, it is a somber book, and you can leave Ecclesiastes saying, man, that was a bummer. Like this, this book is, is just tough to get through, and it's a little fearful for me as we spend the next couple months in Ecclesiastes because I, I don't want to end the series and have all of you leave because you're sad, right? Like I don't want, I don't want you guys to go, we're going to go find someone who's happier, right? And I'm going to be known as the guy who just preaches sad messages and leaves everybody feeling bad about themselves when they leave. Like, I don't want to be known as that. And so it, it's a little fearful for me as we go through Ecclesiastes because the book is a little depressing. So this is what we're going to do as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've titled the series Under the Sun, Searching for uh, Meaning, Purpose, and Value in Life. And the reason that we 
titled it that is because uh, that's what Solomon is trying to do. He's looking for meaning and purpose and value in life, but he's looking for it under the sun. That's a phrase that is, occurs a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very important phrase. And the idea is that where Solomon is looking for meaning and purpose and value is what's under the sun. It's the material world. It's our physical existence. And he's looking with, with what's around him, and he's looking for things that have meaning and purpose and value. So he's not thinking theologically. He's not really factoring God in. He's thinking about the world and where is there meaning, purpose, and value in the world. And so when we go, when we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, most of our sermons, uh, most of my sermons in this series are going to have two main parts. The first part is going to be under the sun, where we look at what is Solomon's conclusions as he is weighing what's going on in the world, as he's thinking about the world and philosophizing about it. Like, what are, Sol- what are the conclusions that Solomon comes to? And they're going to be depressing, almost across the board. Like, they're going to be sad. But on the flip side, the second portion of the sermons, for most of our sermons through the series, they're going to, we're going to look at an eternal perspective. So we, there is a God. He did make the world. He does love us and know us and care about us. And so we're going to move from just this under-the-sun perspective into this eternal perspective to, to be built back up, right? Solomon will, will tear us down a bit as we look at what's under the sun, and we'll be built back up as we think about the eternal perspective and understand what's, going, what's actually going on in the world, and we have a clear and wonderful understanding of e- this eternal perspective of who God is and what he wants for us in our lives. All right, so, so that's the plan as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. The streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let me pray for us. We'll get in the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every single bit of it is inspired. Every single bit of it is profitable and useful for us. God, I thank you for the for the parts that are encouraging and uplifting and the parts that are challenging and direct. And God, I pray that this morning as we go through your word, as we, as we look at what you're teaching us through scripture, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, God, that you would challenge our assumptions, you would challenge our beliefs, you would challenge our behaviors, God, and that we would be shaped and molded in the image of Jesus, God, that you would, you would grow us in the image of Christ, that we would leave here better because of our time in the word. God, give us ears that are open to hear what you have to say to us. And hearts that are that are open and ready to apply what it is that you're saying to our lives. Father, we love you and praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, when we think of successful companies, 
Uh, a lot of us will think of some of the companies on the S&P 500, right? These are the, the by, by one metric, by market capitalization, these are, these are some of the most successful companies in the world, right? Some of the biggest companies in the world. Now, you think of companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft. Right? Those are successful companies that have, been, that have been built up into these conglomerates, these mega corporations. Like, if you're looking at success in an organization, you're looking at some companies like that. But there's one metric that those companies don't have success in yet, and that's longevity. Like, you, you can, they're, they're successful in a lot of things, right? They're successful in the amount of money that they make. They're successful if you look at their balance sheets and their income statements. They're successful in their number of employees. They're successful in the number of products they produce, the number of products that are bought, uh, and the number of products they sell. Like, they're really successful in a lot of things, but you can't say that they're long, uh, that, that they have experienced a longevity as a company. Most of the companies on the S&P 500 haven't been around for more than 22, 23 years. Right? They haven't been around since, uh, they've only been around since uh, the, the turn of the millennium or a few years before when the internet really began to pick up steam. Uh, and the majority of the companies on the S&P 500 have been around for fewer than 100 years. The oldest company on the S&P 500 has only been around for 300, uh, excuse me, 239 years. So that means that for all of those, the, some of the most successful companies in the world, this metric and this, this group of the most successful companies in the world, almost all of them have been around for less than 10% of the time between us and Jesus. Right? They, they have not been around for very long. They're successful in a lot of things, but, but, but for less than 10% of the time between us and Jesus, is that's, all, that's the only amount of time that they've existed. I was looking up what the, most, uh, the, the, the oldest companies in the world are. And the oldest company that we know of, independent company, uh, is in Japan. It's a hotel that's been around since 705 AD, right? That's a company that's successful in being uh, in, in longevity, right? That company's been around. The, the oldest company outside of Japan that we know of that's around is, is uh, a restaurant in Austria that's been around since 806 AD, right? Those are companies that have been around for a really long time. Right? The people that worked in those companies, that, that built those companies and have, have produced work in those companies over the centuries, like what they have built is still lasting. Right? What they've built is still here. It's still going on. But what amazes me is that those are the oldest companies we can think of. And they've still only been around for a little over a thousand years. Which means that for the, the rest of human history, the thousands of years of human history, people have gotten up, they've gone to work, they've put in a lot of effort and toil and economic activity, they've done a lot of work, and we don't have any record of it anymore. They have, we have nothing to show for it anymore. The, the companies that they've built, the, the trade empires that they made, the, the, the land that they acquired, the, the farming empires that they constructed, whatever work that they did every single day, sun up to sundown, the work that they put in, we now today have no record of most of it. And it has very little, if any, impact on our lives. The question that Solomon asks as we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts out in verse 2, uh, with this uh, kind of a thesis that he says for the whole book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity means like a vapor or mist. It means it's empty. And he's looking out at the world and saying, it's all empty. It's all vapor. It's all mist. And the question that Solomon asks here at the beginning of the passage that we're looking at this morning in verse 3 is, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What is the benefit of man's work? 
What is the benefit of our career and our accomplishments? What do we actually get? What actually happens? And when we look at all the companies in the world, we look at all of the the economic output, all of the activity and the work that I'm put in throughout human history, we don't have a record of most of it, and most of it is long forgotten and has made no impact on the world today. So we look at the, the, the longevity, the whole string of human history, very little of our work is actually going to have much of an impact. Here's what I want us to see this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes. Our greatest career accomplishments are ultimately empty if they aren't aligned with God's eternal plan. All of our life's work, the best things that we can come up with, our greatest achievements, the resumes that we build, it's all empty and worthless if our work is not aligned with God's eternal plan, God's eternal purposes. I told you the book of Ecclesiastes will be a little depressing, uh, and we'll get into it. Uh, as, especially you'll see that this morning as we get into this, this view of under the sun. What, what, is, uh, what is Solomon's view as we get into uh, to, to what's under the sun as he's thinking about this question of what do we gain by all of our work? What's there to gain by all of our toil? And here's his, uh, there are two uh, conclusions that Solomon reaches as he looks under the sun for what, what is there to gain in all of our work. The first conclusion is this, nothing progresses. Nothing in the world progresses. Look with me, verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So there's this picture of, of the, this, com, uh, this continual cycle that a generation is born, they live, they die. A new generation is born, they live, they die. And it happens again and again and again. And it's happened since uh, the beginning of humanity, right? It's happened uh, since, uh, since humanity was made, that humanity, uh, generation after generation, were born, they lived, they died. And poetically, Solomon is kind of using this, the, the earth remains forever. You can kind of picture the earth just getting bored looking at this, right? Like the earth is around, and it sees all of these generations come and go, and he's like, all right, here's another one. Okay, here's another one. Okay, here's another one. And that's, that is the sum of human history, right? Generation was born, generation lived, generation died. Generation was born, generation lived, generation died. This never-ending cycle of birth and death that just continually happens again and again and again, and the earth is just looking at it like, all right, I'm bored with this. I've had enough of this. There's, there's nothing changes. There's no progress, right? The cycle isn't ending. The cycle isn't getting better. There, there's no progress being made in human history. It is birth, life, death. Generation comes, the generation goes. This endless cycle. He goes on, verse 5. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to, play, to the place where it rises again. So Solomon looks at the sun and he sees this is just another endless cycle. Sun comes up in the morning, sun goes down at night, and then as the earth rotates on its axis, the sun runs back to the place where it was before, and it rises again in the morning. It sets again at night. And it's this never-ending cycle that's been around since the beginning of the world, right? Where every single day, thankfully, the sun comes up. And then later in the day, the sun goes down. It happens again and again and again in this never-ending cycle. There's no progress being made by the sun, right? The sun doesn't have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. He's not checking its steps like, all right, I made my goal for the day. Like, he's not trying to lose weight, right? It's not like he's going to finally get around enough times and say, all right, I met my goal. 10,000 rotations, I'm good for now, you know? Like, it's, the sun is going to continue to go. 
It is this never-ending monotonous cycle where there's no progress being made. In the morning, the sun comes up. In the evening, the sun comes down, runs back to its place, and it does it again. It goes on. Verse 6. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. So the wind, as you go outside, the, the wind continues to blow, and it doesn't matter what direction the wind is blowing, wind patterns are generally normal. Right? They're generally predictable. We can understand the, the basic wind currents that are going on in the world. We, there are basic currents that take place on the globe, and the wind just continues on its cycle. Wind goes to the south, goes around to the north, goes to the east, comes around to the west. Like the wind just continues along in its cycle. It's never-ending. There's no progress being made by the wind. All right? There's no island in the Bahamas with a finish line where the wind reaches it and says, all right, I made my goal, right? Like, I've, I can stop blowing. Right? The, the wind is done because I have, I have made it where I want to. There's no progress being made by the wind. Again, it's a never-ending monotonous cycle as the wind cycles around. It goes south, it goes north, and it doesn't matter what's in its way. It doesn't matter what it does along the way. It's this never-ending cycle where no progress is being made. Verse 7. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So Solomon's looking at the rivers and he's saying, like, this river is flowing into the sea, but the sea doesn't get to a point where it says, all right, that's, an, that's enough, I'm good. Like, I've, I've had enough water, I've been filled. Uh, the oceans don't rise to the point where they say, all right, you can stop filling me. Like, I've had enough. The water uh, is roughly the same, right? The streams continue to flow into the water, and then the water evaporates falls back as rain or snow in the river, and it continues to cycle back into the, the, to the sea. Again, this never-ending cycle where no progress is actually being made. The streams don't achieve their objective of filling up the sea or filling up the ocean. Right? It becomes this never-ending cycle of the water, uh, the, the water making it to the sea, evaporating, cycling back through. There is no progress being made. Solomon concludes in verse 8, with this line, all things are full of weariness. That, that idea in that sentence is everything is monotonous. Like everything falls under these cycles. Everything that it, it go, it is all part of this, this cycle of growth and decline, life and death, birth and death. Like there's, there's all this cycle of emptiness. There is no progress being made. It's all monotonous. It's all weariness. There's, there's nothing going on that can be counted as progress in the world. That the world is not reaching an objective. It's not growing to utopia. There's nothing that can be counted as progress if you look out in the world. It's all this endless, monotonous cycle. He says, he goes on and says, there are, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. And his point there is, is likely one of two things. Either he's saying that there's so many monotonous cycles in the world that you can't even begin to outline them all. Or his point is that it's so monotonous that it's boring for a man to begin to talk about it. Like his point is that if you look out at the world, no progress is being made in creation. No progress is being made in the universe. It's not getting somewhere. It's not fixing anything. It's not growing and advancing. It is a never-ending, ceaseless, monotonous cycle where nothing ultimately good, nothing ultimately growing and healthy and thriving takes place. Nothing lasts. No progress is being made. And he gives one last example. In verse 8, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. 
Our eyes never reach a point where they say, okay, I've seen it. I can stop now. Like, I've, I am filled with seeing. Uh, and our ears never reach the point where they say, all right, I can stop, I can stop hearing forever. Like, I've, I've reached the hearing threshold, right? I've, I've, I've listened to what I want to listen to. <laughs> no more. Just in the same, our, our eyes, our ears, they're not like our stomach, right? They don't get filled to where we have to stop and, and, and empty it again. But even with our stomach, we fill our stomach and then it's empty again and we have to fill it again and it empties again. We have to fill it again and it empties again. Everything in life, everything in the world is this monotonous cycle where no progress is being made. Some of you think, uh, you know, you may be sitting here thinking, well, what about evolution? Isn't that progress? Isn't that, isn't that growth? Isn't that, that things moving forward? And I don't, I don't want to chase a rabbit trail of, uh, of why I disagree with guys like uh, um, Dawkins and um, Charles Darwin and on some of their major conclusions with evolution on a scientific basis or a, a philosophical basis. So, um, like, I've, I've read Darwin and Dawkins and, and are brilliant scientists that have made great contributions to science, but, but some of their major conclusions, especially on, you know, like where human beings came from, uh, I disagree with. I think they make some leaps that are uh, n not scientific and not biblical. But uh, I'm not going to chase that rabbit trail. But let me, uh, I'm, I'm going to get into this for just a second. Um, when evolution was first uh, founded as a theory, back in the 1800s, Charles Darwin, a couple other people came up with it. Uh, when it was first founded as a theory, uh, it was initially founded with this theoretical basis that everything is building to utopia. That all of the world, all of existence, that it's all building to this wonderful design, wonderful utopia. That it's all, if you give it enough time, a perfect reality will come about. And that's actually something that is not held by pretty much any evolutionary biologist today. That is a philosophical idea that has been rejected by almost every evolutionary psychologist today, uh, biologist today. Most evolutionary biologists would actually agree with everything I've said so far. That the world is this endless and meaningless cycle where, where nothing progresses and nothing grows. Most evolutionary biologists would look at the world and say, well, yeah, things are just adapting. And it's this endless cycle of creatures adapting to their habitat and their habitat changing and they're adapting again. Or prey is adapting and, and then uh, 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 predators adapt. And it's this never-ending cycle of adaptation where nothing is getting better. It's just changing. And that's, that's what evolutionary biologists would say. And so again, I, I I disagree. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I disagree with a lot of their major points. But even if you agree with evolution, evolutionary biologists agree with this, <laughs> that there is no progress in the world. That if you look out on the world, nothing good is happening. There's no progress being made. It is a bunch of endless, monotonous cycles of life and death, birth and death. There's endless, monotonous cycles of, of growth and decline. And no progress is being made towards any kind of utopia in the world. And here's why this matters for our work. Because all of our achievements, all of our greatest moments, our resumes that we build, it's all built on the illusion or the idea that we're, we are making progress. It's all built on the idea that, that, that we are getting somewhere, that we are making the world better, that we are making the company better, that we are advancing civilization in some way. It's all about the number of things that we've sold or the number of miles we've flown or the, the number of things that we've, uh, interactions that we've had with customers. It's all about uh, the, the growth of the organization that we've been a part of or the, or the growth of the world around us. It's all about this, this illusion of progress. And th those are the things that we put on our resumes. Those are the achievements that we shout to the world 
world. It's these progress moments where we make things better or we make things grow or we make things healthy or we, we make the world a better place. Those are the things that we celebrate as our career advancements. They're all about progress. And if you look at the world, if you look at creation, there is no progress being made. Everything in the world says there is this endless cycle. It's monotony. But there is no progress. And yet our careers, our achievements, the things that we shout are all about progress. They're all about saying how much better we have made things and how much better we've made the world. And this is what Solomon's conclusion is, the second thing, uh, second conclusion Solomon comes to. It's that no human effort counts as progress. There's nothing we can do that we can celebrate and count as actual progress. Notice with me verse 9. Solomon says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Now, when we read this passage, this is a passage that stands out to us as being a little weird or off in many cases. Some of you are reading this passage on a screen, on a phone, connected to the internet. Like, that's pretty new, right? Like, you, Solomon did not have one of those, right? No one in human history has had one of those. That's a fairly new phenomenon. Solomon's point here isn't that you can't make something new. His point here isn't that you can't create something that's never been created before. His point here is that it can't be counted as progress. No matter what you make, no matter what you accomplish, it's not, an act, it's not actual progress for the sake of humanity. So think, of, think of the iPhone. If someone were, who invented the iPhone, uh, Steve Jobs and his team, they could hold up the iPhone and say, look, we have solved some of humanity's problems. We have made humanity better. Right? Humanity has been dealing with the same problems for all of its history. Right? We've been dealing with the problems of how do we keep each other alive? Right? How do we, how do we uh, work and interact together as people? How do we maintain civility and order? How do we communicate with each other? How do, we, how do we gather and store information? These are all questions that humanity has been dealing with for all of our history, that, that, have, that we've been dealing with since the very beginning. Uh, these are all questions we've been thinking about and dealing with and trying to solve. And so someone with the iPhone, Steve Jobs and his team, they could hold up the iPhone and say, look, we have solved humanity's problem. We've been trying to find a way to communicate with each other. We've been trying to solve that problem. Here it is. We've been trying to find a way to gather and store and access information. Here it is. They can hold it up and say, this is the solution. This is the answer. And what they're actually doing is claiming something that has been claimed numerous times before. I think of the people that invented the alphabet. When, when, when writing was invented, they said the same thing. Here is the way to communicate. Here's the way we can store and access information. Think of when libraries were invented, the same thing was said, here's how we can store and access information. When mail carriers were invented, here's the way that we can solve human communication problems. Here's the way to store and access information. When telegraphs were invented, here's the way to fix our communication problems and to transmit communication. So the phone is no different than those things. Every single time someone comes up and says, look, I have solved the problem. I have made a difference. I have progressed humanity. But is humanity any better at communicating today than they were? Is, is humanity any closer to this utopian idea of perfect communication? 
Is humanity any closer to this idea of having perfect information that we work from all the time? We have not progressed in answering those questions as humanity. We have better tools, we have better equipment, but we have not progressed as people. We're dealing with the same problems, and and Solomon's point here is someone's going to come along later with a new thing, and they're going to hold it up and say, this is the solution. Not the iPhone, not the the smartphones that came before, but this is the solution that's going to solve humanity's communication problems. Here's the solution that's going to solve humanity's information problems. It's going to happen again and again and again. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and no progress will be made. As we continue to, to invent technology, when we make better tools, humanity isn't actually advancing for the questions that we try to answer, for the problems that face us as people. We're not getting better at them. We're not approaching utopia. We're not on our way to this perfect paradise that we have created. If humanity makes gains in communication, then we're probably sl- slacking and making uh, losing gains in decency and, 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 and uh, chivalry and, and, and communication with each other and, and, and loving and kindness with one another. And if we make gains in, in kindness and community with one another, then we're probably going to start slacking and losing gains in information and communication. It's all an endless cycle of, of growth and decline, information and decline, of birth and death. It's no progress is being made in humanity. In fact, it's a fairly new phenomenon to think that humanity is getting better. It's only been around for the last couple hundred years. For the rest of human history, there's been this endless cycle of uh, great periods followed by decline, where the Assyrians grew to a wonderful empire, a mighty, powerful empire with with great advances in technology and science and, and architecture. And then when the Assyrian empire was destroyed, all of that information was lost to the point where a Greek uh, there's a Greek mercenary named Xenophon who was helping out uh, the Persians and Babylonians fighting each other a few hundred years after the fall of the Assyrian Empire, and he takes shelter in this old abandoned city of Nineveh. And he looks around and says, I don't know how they built this. I don't know how a human being could possibly construct this. That was the growth of information followed by decline. The same thing happened with the Renaissance a few hundred years ago. That, that the, the peak of human thinking and intellect at the time was the Greek, the ancient Greek thinkers over 2,000 years ago. And in, in, in the 1500s during the Renaissance, they began to rediscover the thinking of Greek, uh, Greek writers like uh, Plato and Aristotle. They began to rediscover these guys and they began to, to grow and that sparked the Renaissance. There's not this continual growth of humanity. It's an endless cycle of, of growth and decline of improvement and and de-evolution. No progress is being made. So we look at our jobs and we look at our careers and and all of our achievements, we have to take stock of what we're doing and realize that we're not actually making a difference. We're not ultimately making the world a better place. Like I said at the beginning, Thousands of years of human economic output and effort and toil and struggle, we don't remember any of it. Most of the economic output, the companies and the work that have been put in for the last thousand years, we don't remember. Just just think about as soon as you retire and you move on uh, from your company, how quickly they will probably forget about the work that you did. 
And if you give it five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, you give it 500 years, no one will probably remember the company in the first place. Nobody remembers the 84,000 employees that worked at Blockbuster in 2004. And that was 19 years ago. They got up every day and put in work and effort and toil to grow this amazing company. And because the company's not around anymore, we don't remember it. Every company that, that, that is represented here, every company that we're a part of, all of the effort and the work that we put in, none of them are going to last. Every company will eventually fail and fall. And no one will remember the work that we did. If you give it enough time, all the good things we did will probably be undone. Every good leader is eventually followed by a bad leader. Every good employee is eventually followed by a bad employee. And all of the benefit and the growth and the good things that we did will eventually be undone. There is no progress. Like I said, the book of Ecclesiastes is very depressing. <laughs> and the thought for many of us is, well, why work? Right? Why put in any effort? Why go to work? And that seems like a weird question for us to ask. Like, oh, we can't ask that. Like, we're Americans. Like, we can't ask why work. But that's exactly the point. Why work? Why put in effort? Because there's no benefit in the end. There's no progress being made. Thankfully, the, the view from under the sun is not the only view. Right? There's more to the story. Because what, what we see in the, in the material world, there's more that exists than just that. There, there's a God who knows us and loves us and cares for us. God who created us and has a, has a plan for us and has a plan for our lives. So I want to look at the eternal perspective. There's two uh, main takeaways for us, two applications from an eternal perspective. The first thing is this. Keep your mind on eternal work. The Bible tells us that the reason that all of creation is in this monotonous, endless cycle of growth and decline, life and death, the reason that it's stuck with no progress being made is because of sin. Romans chapter 8 uh, the Bible says that, that all of creation has been subjected to futility. That, that all of creation is groaning and anxiously waiting the day that they will be redeemed. Because it's been subjected to futility, this endless cycle of life and death, growth and decline, where no progress is being made. But that isn't God's design. That isn't God's plan. That's not how he initially made the world. And the Bible teaches us that, that there is going to be a day when God is going to recreate creation. He's going to set everything right, where his son Jesus is going to restore the world. And, and we call that day, uh, like the, the day of judgment, we call that day this new kingdom that's going to be created. We call that heaven, or the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, there will be growth, there will be life, there will be progress. And the world will be back to the way it's supposed to be. Jesus tells us during his life and ministry uh, that that kingdom isn't fully here yet, right? That is a day in the future, but it's not just a day in the future. Jesus tells us during his ministry that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what Jesus did during his life and ministry is work that is eternally significant because what Jesus was doing during his life and ministry is he was bringing in people to the kingdom of God. He was reaching out and bringing in citizens to God's eternal kingdom. He saved people. He redeemed people. He made people new creations. 
People who are citizens of God's eternal kingdom, freed from the power of sin and death and the endless monotony and brokenness of life. And he began to gather in citizens for his kingdom. Citizens who will be in his kingdom for all of eternity. If you want to do a work that is eternally significant, believe in Jesus. If you want to do something that's going to matter forever, place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Become a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. Because that's what's going to matter forever. Your resume does not impress God. It won't even impress another human being a hundred years from now. It will barely impress someone next year. Our greatest career accomplishments will be empty and hollow on the day that the earth passes away, if not well before then. And so you want to do something that matters forever, place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus and become a citizen of his kingdom. And if you have trusted in Jesus, there's an eternal work for you. There's something you can do that can matter forever. There are multiple things you can do, but the number one thing you can do that will matter forever is to to find more people to become citizens of God's kingdom, to go out with the message of the gospel on your lips, to go proclaim salvation in Jesus, to see your friends and your family members, your neighbors and your coworkers come to know Christ. That's something that's eternally significant. Because all of your accomplishments, everything that you do and the resume you built will pass away. But if you're standing there on the day of judgment before the throne of God, having been forgiven and saved by Jesus as a citizen of, uh, of God's kingdom, and you look around and you see your friends and your family members and your coworkers there because you shared the gospel with them, that is going to matter forever. So keep your mind on an eternal work things that will matter forever. Go with the gospel on your lips. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the number one thing you can do is to place your faith and hope and trust in him. That will matter forever. You might be thinking, okay, that doesn't answer the question. Why work? (laughs) Right? Why don't we all just quit our jobs and become full-time evangelists? Um, Here's the the second point. Second, Second application. Do good work to portray the kingdom of God. Most of you are not going to become full-time evangelists. Uh, And that's a good thing because there would be nobody to support the full-time evangelists. And uh, we'd all be broke, right? Uh, The reality, just from a a theological level, the reality is that we were created to work. We were designed to do things. All the way in the Garden of Eden, work is not a result of sin, right? Work is not a result of the fall. God created Adam to work the garden. He created Adam and Eve with a purpose. It was good, uh, fulfilling, progressive work, but it, it, was, it, was, uh, it, it was not burdensome or, or hard or difficult. It was great work, but God created us to work. He designed us to do uh, good things for the world, right? But even on a practical level, you need food, and you need a place to live. And in order to get those things, you have to have money, which means you have to provide some kind of good or service to a person or an organization. Right? You have to work. On a, on a practical and theological level, work is required. But the question you're asking is, why, why do it at all if it doesn't matter in the end? But the reality is that it's okay that it doesn't matter in the end. It's okay that that all of our greatest accomplishments are going, are, are going to be nothing. That is, a, that is something that we need to keep in mind, have at the forefront of our mind. The Bible teaches that we should do good work while we're in it. While, we're, while we are in our jobs, while we are in our careers, we need to do good work. And here's why. Because that's what people who have been redeemed do. 
what we get to do as people who've been redeemed, as citizens of God's eternal kingdom, is we get to live and act as if we are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. On the day when Christ returns and his kingdom is fully realized, there will be work for us in the kingdom of God. We will have things to do. So in, those, in that day, when we're in the kingdom of God, we will be working. It's not some eternal retirement where we sit back. Like It will be good and, and it will be great work that we do. But we will be working. And so we can look at our work today as an extension of that. As people who have been part of the kingdom of God, we can work as people who are citizens of God's kingdom. Which means that we do good work because that's the work that's done in the kingdom of God. We work in a way that brings glory and honor to God because that's what redeemed people do. That means if you make something, if your career is building and creating something, then make something good. Make something beautiful. Make something that, that improves the, the quality of life, the flourishing of the people around you. Make something to the best of your abilities with, with, with excellence. Make something that's good. Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what working in the kingdom of God is like. If you're a leader, lead with grace and kindness and love and wisdom because that's what leading looks like in the kingdom of God. Improve the lives of your organization, the lives of the people that you lead, the lives of the people around you and improve the world. If you work in some service industry and you're performing a service and a function, do that to the best of your ability with, with joy and life and serve the people around you well because that's what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God, to work in the kingdom of God. When we do good work, we give people glimpses into what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God. And we don't do it because that's, uh, you know, we think we're going to change the world for the better forever. All of our good work will eventually be undone. Give it a few years or a few centuries, but it will eventually go away and have a negligible impact on, on, on forever. But we do it because we can redeem our little pocket of creation around us. As redeemed people, we can make the little pocket of creation around us look more like the kingdom of God and show other people what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. If you're a pilot, fly the plane with joy exude joy and life and love to the people around you and fly it to the best of your ability. Land the plane smoothly to the best that you can. Because that's what it looks like to, to be a pilot is the kingdom of God. In all of the work that we do, whatever it is that you do, if you're in school, if you're retired, whatever output you perform, whatever, whatever functions you do in the world, do beautiful, wonderful things in a way that is glorifying and, one, and, and, and praiseworthy to God. Because that's what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. And it shows the world a little bit of what the kingdom of God is like. That goes for what we do. Do great things. Do things wonderfully. Do things that are beautiful. Do things that, that are encouraging and uplifting and make a positive impact on the people around you. So do great things. And, and do things well. As people who, who have been redeemed, do put forward your best effort, your best energies. Do things for the glory of God. With grace and love and kindness, do things well. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. As I pray, there are a couple things uh, for us to do this morning. One, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this morning, is a, I want to give you that opportunity. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. This morning, you can do something that will matter forever, and that's to trust in Christ. So while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. If you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I'd love for you to come up here. I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't want to come to the front, we have people in the back who would love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. 
to place your faith and hope in him. The other thing I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at these stairs uh, as kind of an altar. It's a place, uh, a place of prayer for us this morning. There's nothing special about coming up to the stairs, but, but there's something uh, about taking a step forward, an actual action for us that I think solidifies things in our mind. And so, so I want us to look at these uh, steps this morning as a place of prayer. And while we sing, what I want us to do is I want us to consecrate our work to the Lord. There are a lot of us who are just mailing it in. And we are doing things the bare minimum to get a paycheck. We're doing things the bare minimum to get paid. And we are not showing people what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God through our work. We are, we are leading with, with uh, brilliance, but we're not leading with grace and kindness. We are, we are doing things that are, that are good. We are doing things that are okay. We're doing adequate work, but we're not living and working in a way that we should. And we're not thinking primarily, first and foremost and above all, with an eternal mindset for eternal work. We're allowing the busyness of our lives to get in the way of the most important work we could possibly do, and that's to reach the people around us with the gospel. So this morning, if that's you and you're convicted by this and you, you want to re-consecrate the work that you're doing in the world to the Lord, what I invite you to do is while we sing, I invite you to come up here. I would love for you to just take an, uh, to just kneel at the uh, kneel at the steps and pray to the Lord. Consecrate your work to him. Give things over to him, whether it's your schoolwork or your, your job, your career, in retirement, whatever it is. Give your work over to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to do things that are glorif that's glorifying to you. I'm going to do beautiful, wonderful things for your glory, and I'm going to focus on a work that will matter forever in reaching the people around me with the gospel. So while we sing, I invite you to come up here and pray. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work that you've given us. God, I thank you that there, there is a, a work for us, that there's a purpose for our lives, that you've gifted us each with talents and abilities to be used for your glory. God, I pray this morning for anyone here that that does not know you, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior, that they would do something that matters forever, and that's trusting in you. And God, I pray for, for anyone here who's just mailing it in at their job, anyone here who, who is living and working in a way that is good, but is not exemplary, is not showing what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. God, I pray this morning that you would convict us. God, that you would sharpen us and shape us and move us forward in doing good things for your kingdom. Father, above all else, give us an eternal perspective. Help us to live for eternity today. We love you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So again, if you want to place your faith and hope in Jesus, 